Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. I love that idea. Let love run the show. Just feels right in some deep soul level that if we truly embody to the best of our capacity this idea of divine love, how would life in this world be different? How much more peaceful? How much more prosperous? Because we wouldn't be wasting energy trying to hoard money or power or things. We would just be looking around to see how more can, how much more can I share of the infinite supply of divine love, divine energy that is God. So this is the third week of the Advent season. And as one of our customs here, we like to light the candles in the Advent wreath, a tradition that's come down from the German cultures from years ago. And the first week we lit a candle symbolizing the divine idea of faith or the divine idea of hope. It's expressed in a couple of different ways. The second week, last week, we lit the candle for the divine idea of peace. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. That's a tall order, isn't it? That means we have to do our work to understand where are we holding discord in our minds and in our bodies and in our beings. Not from a point of view of pointing fingers and blame, but just simply saying, what's there? And how can I transmute this energy into something peaceable? Well, tradition dictates that the third candle would be pink, symbolizing the divine idea of love and our capacity and our willingness to let love run the show. And I want to share with you a little idea about that. So there was a group of Sunday school students and kids. They were gathered around and invited by the teacher to tell the Christmas story in their own words. And they pretty much shared the basic elements. There was Mary and, and Joseph and baby Jesus and angels and shepherds and kings and, of course, uh, animals and a stable and all that. And the teacher asked them to talk about each character and why they might be in that story, kind of like a metaphysical group, if you were, if you will. That's what we did today at 9.30. And one of the child explained that in a normal world, kings and shepherds would never just simply hang out together. This was just not ever going to happen. And so the teacher said, well, what do you think that means? And the child explained that from his birth, the message of the Jesus experience was that we should love everyone. Whatever they look like, whoever they loved, whoever they voted for even. And we didn't have to like everyone, but we do have to love everyone. And that's the great work. And to work together to co-create a world that works for everyone. At our core, the child said, we are all one in the love of God. It's this view of unconditional love, this this consciousness, this part of Christ consciousness that symbolizes what Christmas can be for us. And by understanding these ideas of 
hope and faith and peace and love, and the one we'll get to next week, I can't tell you what it is, I don't want to give it away, then we can have a richer and more meaningful experience of the season. So we like this third candle, the pink one, with the intention that we might love one another in the same way that Jesus did. Not just during Advent, but the whole year through. Let's just take a moment and allow that to settle in within us. And today we give thanks for the divine idea of love. We give thanks for the freedom to recognize and to know that each and every one of us at our core is an individualized expression of this divine love. It doesn't matter what we may have thought or what we may have done. It doesn't change the truth of our essence. So with gracefulness, we release that which does not align with the idea of divine love so that we might fully bring divine love into expression and then share it generously because there is no shortage of love. This is the prayer and the affirmation we make for this third week of Advent. We make this prayer in the name of the living Christ Spirit. And so it is. And so we let it be. Amen. Okay. I want to shift gears for just a moment. And stop me if you've heard this one. No, actually, don't stop me. It's kind of funny. I want to tell you. So, so God is talking to one of the angels. And, and God says, you know what I just did? I created, get this, I created a 24-hour period of alternating light and darkness. It's pretty good, isn't it? Well, what's the angel going to do? Say no? So the angel, yeah, that's great. And then the the angel follows up with another question. So what are you going to do now? And God says, hmm, I don't know. Guess I'll call it a day. That's funny. That's funny. That's funny. I'm here all week. As far as I know, I haven't heard it otherwise. So anyway, I mentioned this because sandwiched between today and Christmas Eve, which is next Sunday, we have a beautiful experience of the winter solstice. And Nina will tell us a little bit about that during the community news slide uh, time in our service. So let's talk about another element of Christmas, the Christmas shows that come on television. And ever since I was, I can remember, and I would watch the, the old stop motion animation, you know, there's the uh, Christmas shows, the more secular ones. And one of my favorites is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This, this came out in 1964, just a year before I did. And uh, there's a great backstory that definitely relates to the divine idea of love that we're celebrating with an unlit candle today. So this, this was not a part of the script. Maybe I'll just stand here and this time not hold my hand over the flame. 
with my assistant. So you will be the, there you go. So this is the angel. She's the one who commented about this this day. All right, we're going to give it a shot. So yeah, we don't, you know. okay, thank you. So, so Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a fictional character created by an author named Robert May. He's usually depicted as the youngest reindeer, and you know the story that he came along. Uh, he had this nose that would glow, and all the other reindeers would make fun of him the way that sometimes happens. And the booklet first appeared in 1939 at Montgomery Ward's. Because up until that time, Montgomery Ward, the department store, would buy these comic books and hand them out to people as kind of a, a holiday gift. But, you know, they were just coming out of the Depression, and, and the execs at Montgomery Ward said, we need to just write our own story and publish it ourselves. That's going to save us some money and, you know, look good with the shoppers. And so they hired Robert May to write this story. Now, Robert May himself was not an overtly religious person. He, his parents were members of the Ethical Culture Society, which believed that morality was independent of theology. Robert May himself uh, graduated magna cum laude from Dartmouth University. You might need to know that someday if you're on a trivia contest, and they're doing backstory on Christmas uh, stories. So there you go. So at school, he wasn't a writing major. He was a psychology major. And he was very much influenced by the work of psychologist uh, Alfred Adler, whose thesis was that the basic human motivation is a striving for perfection and that self-assertion stems from a desire to overcome feelings of inferiority. So a lot of Adler's work about power and how individuals use their power to overcome a sense of being less than, not enough, sort of thing. And in some of the other stories that May wrote, this theme is a recurrent theme. And if you think about this story of Rudolph, here was this little deer, oh dear, here's this little reindeer who was getting picked on. The other reindeer wouldn't let him play the games and all this stuff. He was left out marginalized. And there's, an, there's a connection that many of us make with Rudolph because I don't know if you've ever felt at some point marginalized on the outside, not allowed to play the other reindeer games, not welcome. You can probably relate to Rudolph. So in early 1939, May's writing this story, taking into account this idea of marginalization and this idea of feeling empowered to simply be oneself and be accepted for being one's own self. But there's a lot going on in his life. May was a young man. He was 35. He had a four-year-old daughter, and his wife was dying. She had cancer. And in this writing process, one day he went with his daughter and one of the illustrators to the zoo in Chicago because he decided in his mind he's going to write a story about a reindeer that's kind of Christmassy related. And uh, so they drew pictures and talked about storylines. And the rest, as they say, is history. He wrote this story, but it wasn't done until August of 1939. 
And that's about the time his wife actually died. So here's Robert May struggling to provide for his daughter, struggling with medical debt. <laughs> Times haven't changed too much. Struggling to just keep his head above water. Writing a whimsical Christmas story for his employer. And in fact, the execs at Montgomery Ward said to him, we, we can assign the project to somebody else. We can take it off your hands. He goes, no, no, no. I need to do this. I need to do this. And so he worked on it in his spare time and some time at the office and at home. And actually, the, the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was written in about 50 hours. This is what's recorded. And then after he finished writing each section, he would read it to his daughter. So finally, when he got it written in final form, he called in his in-laws and called in his daughter, and he read the entire story to them. And he writes, I called Barbara and her grandparents accomplished what I had hoped. The first soft cover of the poem and the story was distributed in 1939, 84 years ago. We're still telling the story. And I thought about that. When I read the backstory of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I felt it in my eyes too. Because not only had I at different times in my life for different reasons identified with Rudolph, to see what this man went through to take care of his daughter and his job and the bills and even himself, powerful. Really is powerful. And I think, how many people do I know who have gone through similar sorts of experiences and just had to keep going? What keeps us going in these times of profound grief and angst and sadness? I think it's the divine idea of love. So I wanted to look at this story and see, where is love in this story? Or as we might uh, say in unity, where is the expression of the divine idea of love? Where's Christ consciousness in this story? I think the first element is that May had to learn to love himself enough to realize that whatever feelings he was feeling in that moment, in that time, was not going to be the final word about him. In other words, he said, I will love myself enough to be my own champion to get me through this. Now, I'm sure there are other people around who loved him as well and supported him. That's, that's what humans do when we're in relationship, at least healthy relationship. But he had to decide to accept that. I'm worthy of this love from others. I'm worthy of my own self-love. And I can keep going. Even if there are the voices in my head that said, you should just give it up. Not going to work. Loser. I don't know. Maybe you've had those stories going on in your head. And you just had to decide, I'm going to love myself anyway. And I'm going to graciously, or maybe not so graciously, receive the love that others are giving to me. Because I deserve it. May not be perfect. I'm doing the best I can. I'm worthy of love, my own and that of others. 
And partially, he decided that he would give love. He gave his love to his creative story as, as something he created, much like his daughter. I will love my daughter. I will love my story. I will even love corporate America for whom I work, writing ad copy about shirts, which he was doing, in spite of his magna cum laude Dartmouth degree in psychology. He would love and give love. And when I watch the story of Rudolph, I'm reminded of a third element of love, which is really love as a call to action. I don't know if you've ever watched the same story and you just want to, if you're, you just want to just go all mama bear on those other deer. You stop that. Grow up. Act like you got some sense. What if you were Rudolph? How would you feel? I, it, it is a calling to me to look at the world around me to see where is there injustice? Where is there cruelty? And what is mine to do about that? How can I love enough the people who are being harmed or the animals or the earth that I will work for their protection? And how can I love enough the perpetrators to help them see a better way? Not just to let it be okay, we're going to have a fight and stop this, but to go one step beyond. How can I help those who are harming others see a greater light? Hating them is not going to do it. Endeavoring to understand, and understanding is a part of the divine I love, will help. So that's some of the metaphysics of Rudolph. So yes, you might think, well, this is just a, a silly secular Christmas song, but it is so much more. It, to me, really is the awakening of the divine idea of love and how we can give it shape, how we can give it form, and understanding what brought this story to us, I think, can help us have a richer, fuller, and more rewarding experience of Christmas. So this year, love your inner Rudolph. Love the Rudolphs in the world around you. And yes, even those other reindeer and Santa, though it may have taken them a while to come around, they came around, and we love them too. Peace be with you, and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 11 a.m., or View our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.